we begin by finding Avram Avinu convalescing from the brismila, from the after effects of the brismila. <coughs> so the Pasha opens up with Avram, <coughs> Pasha Bayera opens up with Avram convalescing from the brismila, and concludes with the Akedas Yitzchak. Amongst the ten trials of Abraham, the ten Nisyonos that Avram went through, so there's a number of, of various readings of what Nisoyan is number one, two, three, etc. But according to the Pirkei de Rebeliezer, the last three of Avram's Nisoyanus were the following. The Bris Mila was number eight. The uh, driving out of Ishmael from his home, his own son, was nine. And Akedas Yitzchak was ten. It's an interesting common feature then, really, with the last three. Um, interestingly enough, number eight is bris mila. Test number eight is the bris. And test number nine and ten also, in a sense, deal with his children. Having bris mila, mitzvah on himself, in terms of and his family and his children, bris num, uh, in soya number nine, the driving out of Yishmoel, and um, I guess it's a hard thing to get rid of the Arabs. That's what it seems. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot of pressure to not to not get rid of them. Um, and the tenth one is, of course, Akedas Yitzchak. The three of them have a number of common features. Amongst them is that they all go against the very grain, the very essence of what Avram Avinu is all about. Avram Avinu, we know, was about chesed. Ramosha asks the following kasha. We know that Avram was sitting in front of his tent. We find Avram convalescing, sitting in front of his tent, waiting. Waiting for what? So we know that he was waiting for guests. He felt bad that it was a hot day and that he couldn't invite any guests because no guests were walking around. So Hashem sent them malach, sent them angels so that he should feel the ability that they should be able to do the chesed. In other words, Avram was represented the pillar of chesed. That was Avram's essence. In fact, Rav Moshe Feinstein asks the kasha over here, if you look in the second paragraph, Rashi, he saw that Avram felt bad that there were no guests. Therefore, Hevi Malochen, he brought angels. That's what Rashi says. So, the pain that Avram felt that there were no guests. And therefore, it seems strange that he should feel, they should feel bad at the inopportunity to be able to fulfill this mitzvah. Why? Of what value does he feel, of, of what value is there in this pain of his? There's no obligation if there are no guests. It's not like, you know, uh, you, oh, I wish I could have done the mitzvah. I mean, 
Does anybody feel bad? And should anybody feel bad that he can't fulfill the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrik today? Lulav and Esrik is not a mitzvah that you have to do today. So there's no reason to feel bad that you can't fulfill Lulav and Esrik on a day that there's no obligation for Lulav and Esrik. If there are no potential for guests because no one's walking around, so why feel bad? It's not like an onus, a person who couldn't fulfill a mitzvah that he normally should have done, where the mitzvah is in existence, but it's not his fault, he couldn't fulfill it, at least he could still feel bad, Oi, a lost opportunity. But over here there's no chiv whatsoever, there's no obligation whatsoever, why feel bad? It would be the equivalent of a person during the week feeling bad that he can't fulfill Shabbos. If it's Shabbos, and you're an invalid, and you can't fulfill the mitzvah of Shabbos, you feel bad, even if it's not your fault. But at least it's Shabbos. But if it's not Shabbos, why even feel bad? So why did Avram feel bad? Says Rav Moshe, it teaches us a very important lesson. It's because chesed is a quality. The point is that the quality of mercy is something which exists independently and you don't necessarily need a mitzvah whereby you could demonstrate it. In fact, God's essence is mole rachamim, is His quality of mercy and chesed is so great that before there was a creation, He felt the need to make a creation whereby to give off from His kindness. So the nature of a kind person is to seek objects to which He could demonstrate His kindness to. And therefore the love of chesed is something which a person should should try to cultivate in himself whether there is a mitzvah for it or not. And therefore Moshe explains, he explains in another place, in Kesef Talvas Ami, that there's a mitzvah itself that a person should constantly desire to do chesed. And he should always yearn to be nice. He should always yearn to be kind and to be merciful. And therefore, the same way that if a person doesn't have food, it doesn't mean you're not going to be hungry. If you don't have food, you're still hungry for food because it's a nature of a person to hunger for food. And therefore, when it comes to physical needs, you should view chesed as a spiritual need. There should be a spiritual hunger and yearning to do chesed. This is then what exemplified Avram. This is the nature of Avram. He wanted to do the mitzvah of chesed. He wanted to do the mitzvah of chesed. So whether he's obligated or he's not obligated or the potential is there or not, it's a quality. Titein emes Yaakov chesed l'Avram. Avram represented chesed, hachnosis orchem. As a result, he was in a constant need for it and it became almost like a physical need. This then was the nature of Avram Avinu. This was the nature of Avram Avinu. The, um, I saw an interesting shot in the name of Rav Shlomo Hyman, which is slightly different, and it's something which maybe we'll get to a little bit later on, that Avram Avinu was more than just a person who on his own wanted to do chesed. He wanted to constantly teach chesed to the world. So it becomes, it becomes something else. When a person, for example, the um, the nowadays 
Torah learning is at such a low ebb in, in, in the general populace that those people that do learn Torah, even when they have excuses not to learn Torah, have to always bear in mind the effect that their learning has on the general populace. When you are learning, not only are you doing the mitzvah, but you're also becoming a, a kind of a representative. And you're also becoming a person who becomes a teacher to others. Every person that learns, no matter how much you know and how little you know, you teach others to learn as well. Avraham Avinu living in the world that he was living in, the world of selfishness, was teaching a value to the world. The value of chesed, the value of trying to help others, the value of kindness and compassion. And this was a value that he was teaching. As such, he was always worried about the fact that if he's not doing it, he's also not demonstrating it, and he's also not teaching it. He was always in search of teaching and benefiting the world at large. So it's not no longer just a mere question of do you have the obligation or don't you have the obligation. You always are seeking for a constant... It's a value that you have to teach everybody. So if you don't have a guest that you could, that you could demonstrate it with, it means that the concept is not going to be taught. And therefore, Avram was always in search to be able to perform acts of kindness in order to teach the lessons and the value and the quality of kindness to the world. And therefore, it's a very important lesson that people have to realize nowadays also that very often the mitzvahs that we do are, mere, are more than just mere mitzvahs, although that in itself is something of great value. We are the she'eris ha'pleta, we are the leftover remnant of a people that there are very few of us doing what they're doing. I mean, although we look around mm-hmm. and there are, you know, certainly Shlomo Hyman said this, but if you go back in time, um, 30 years ago, for those that remember, even in the most orthodox communities, how many will love Menesha were there? I mean, you walk into a shul and the shul would buy four or five sets for the people to use, and then the rabbi would have one, the chazan would have one, and there were a couple of old-timers that had one, and a few rabbis that had one, a few people that were like special, they would have a little of an esrim. But your general populace, even amongst the Orthodox, didn't have it. Not that long ago, 30 years ago, yeah. Sure, in the 60s, if you went into a shul, the majority of the people in an Orthodox shul did not have a little of an esrim. You'd walk into young Israel. It, it seems strange to you, doesn't it? Baruch Hashem, does it seem strange to you? It, it, it's still around like that. So even nowadays, where there's been an exponential growth of the, this observance, it's still, what is it, a couple hundred thousand people, that's it. You're talking about uh, 13 million Jews. Uh, I remember when I first moved to Detroit, and we, we had a sukkah. So besides the fact that everybody did it, whatever they could in their... You know, there were people that helped us to be able to make a sukkah by Levi. By Levi. So what was our first sukkah made up? It was composed of, I don't know where you got them from, of doors. You know, doors that you throw in the... Usually the stone. Yeah? It, it, it was the funniest looking sukkah. There was a green door, there was a door with a glass on it. There was, and then, you know, you just put it together. And from, from the inside, the sukkah looked nice because... We used white sheets. No, no, we didn't decorate. We used white sheets because that we had a tradition already from Hungary. They always did it like that. With white sheets and tablecloth. And the inside of the sukkah always looked nice. It was nice and white. But from the outside, it was this horrid-looking thing with a green door and a black door and a purple door and a brown door and with the paint shipping and peeling and glass. 
and the, 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 the wide part of the sukkah was composed of three doors, the narrow part of the sukkah was two doors, and that's, that's the way the sukkah looked. But that was the only sukkah on the block. It's probably the only sukkah within the radius of a half a mile. Nobody had sukkahs. People didn't have sukkahs. Now, Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of sukkahs. But the idea is that those people that were that were living in a sukkah, and with the Lul of Vanessa, were doing more than just doing a mitzvah. They were teaching the world a value. They were teaching the world to do a mitzvah. Now, learning Torah for a Baal the idea that a Baal should learn, I mean, there's a lot of Torah learning, there's Lakewood, there's dedications, there's everything. But the idea that learning should be part of a typical Jew's life, just like the Lul of Vanessa, just like Tefillin, just like any of the other mitzvahs, is something which still hasn't made it to the general populace. So a person has to realize that when you learn, you're teaching with your own learning. Your own learning is teaching everybody else around you. It's teaching your family. It's teaching your friends. It teaches your community. If you're a business person, it teaches your business associates. If you're not a business person, it teaches your family, it teaches your community. Therefore, Avram, who was trying to teach chesed, if he didn't have guests, he felt it as a lost opportunity to teach a value to the world. That's why Avram wasn't such... We're going to come back to this theme later. I don't want to get distracted from it now, but I want to do something else first. Of course, we should go into this. But the idea of that the things that you do and your responsibilities beyond your own self, it's in whatever circle that you influence, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's business associates, whatever the case may be. In any case... This was the essence of Avram. With this, of course, we could understand. We could understand another Rashi. If you look in the um, second Rashi, on page thirty-six, the pasuk says, "Vayerol of Hashem beilone Mamre." Hashem appeared to him in the plains of Mamre, and he was sitting in the front of his tent. Okay, to tell us they were sitting in the front of his tent is important because we understand the rest of the story of why that's relevant. But of what relevance is the geographical location of this vision? We don't find this anywhere else. We don't find that Hashem appeared to somebody in the city of wherever it was. Unless it, unless it has some significance. Of what significance is to say that the appearance of Hashem was in the plains of Mamre? The plains of Mamre doesn't play any role in any of the stories, not before and not after. It was the name of the guy. His friend, so... Oh, that, that's the answer. But the question is, you have to understand first what the question is. The question is, what's the point of mentioning it? What's the point of mentioning where this great apparition, this great vision occurred? Who cares that it was in the plains of Mamre? We don't find anywhere else a precedent for the fact that Hashem appeared to a prophet in the... Um, city of this thing or in the field of some friend prophets had visions wherever they had it what the significance so Rashi brings down that Mamre was the person that gave him advice regarding the Brismila therefore this vision as a kind of a reward he's given an honorable mention regarding this vision because he in a sense was a kind of a participant by advising Avram to go ahead and do the Mila of course, this leads to the question, what is Avram doing taking advice from a friend regarding whether he should or should not do the Mila? So, says Rav Moshe in the very first piece, 
Perish Rashi, Shunais and Eitzah We have to explain and understand this. The Shailus Avrami Mamre, the Varamila. The question that Avram had to Mamre regarding the Brismila was not should I listen to God or shouldn't I? But the question was, should I do this as a kind of a surreptitious fulfillment of God's will, almost like a like a Murano? Or is this something that I should be proud of? Should I be proud to be a Jew, so to speak? So to us, we say, what's the question? But to him, it was a question. Why? Because again, as we said, the essence of Avram was two things. Was the essence of chesed and teaching the world this value. And anything that's going to cause a split and a break between him and the world is something which is going to block his ability to do his mission. He'll find it as an impediment, an obstacle in his mission. And therefore, in order to be mashpia, to affect others, it would have made much more sense to do this surreptitiously. Nevertheless, Mamre advised him, and so he did, he did it openly, he did it publicly. How do we know that? We know that because in the last parsha, if you look on top of the page, says, On this self-same day, Avram did it. And the word, whenever we say, on this very day, we find used in the Torah to always refer to something which was done publicly in a way that, let's see if anybody else is going to try to stop it. In other words, Avram did this publicly. And Mamre advised him to do it. Mamre said, if this is the word of God, you got to do it publicly. What does this teach us? Says Rav Moshe, this is Rav Moshe's little <coughs> spin on it. We have to learn from this a lesson about mitzvahs in general that whether it makes sense or doesn't make sense and it seems to be not the right thing to do at the right time, you go ahead and you do it and you don't try to be wise and wiser than God in terms of the mitzvahs, even if the reasons that you're using are good and valid reasons, even if they make sense. Rather, what you should do is do a mitzvah because this is Hashem's command and you will see that that in itself is a mashpia. That in itself will have effect on others and influence them positively. So therefore, you go ahead and you do the mitzvahs, and don't try to be too wise. Don't try to be too smart and too wise, even though it goes against the grain of everything that you feel makes sense to do under the circumstances. There are certain mitzvahs that are just not popular. And not only that, there are certain mitzvahs that we feel that if you, that if you keep those particular mitzvahs, it's going to have a negative effect, rather than what we're trying to... Uh, to influence people. It's sort of like when uh, a certain rabbi said that maybe we should say the bracha of Shalom Asani Isha quietly. In other words, yeah, this particular bracha is an embarrassment. And since it's an embarrassing bracha, say it quietly so that nobody hears you say it. The idea that certain mitzvahs are an embarrassment. There are certain leaders out there. We talked last week about fraudulent uh, Torah and fraudulent leaders. But there are certain leaders out there that will say openly, oh, this mitzvah is not one of my favorites. I find it to be an embarrassment. I mean, if a person talks like that, that's exactly what Avram had to decide. I mean, to physically mutilate yourself and thereby look different than everybody else rather than be able to influence others 
you know, we've always had this discussion with Eddie that it's very easy for me or for any rabbi to say, go learn Torah. I mean, who's going to listen to a rabbi anyway? Of course you're going to say that. What else are you going to do? But when a guy dressed as sharp as Eddie tells people, go learn Torah, that has an impact. So to a certain extent, I've run at the same theory. If I am uncircumcised like you, and I say, be kind and be good and this and that, it has impact on people. Avram was a successful person. He drove the uh, ancient equivalent of a Rolls Royce. His camel had an RR on it with, with a big uh, grill in the front or something like that. And um, he was a wealthy guy, Avram. I don't know. He may, was a, he may have dressed very sharp. He influenced people. He said, Ooh, Avram, I want to be like him. So part of being like him was to be a nice guy like him. All of a sudden, Avram, at the age of 100, is mutilating himself, and he's going, forget it, I don't want to have anything to do with Avram. It's a big shyness. Should I do it in a way that people are going to find out about it, and I'm going to lose my whole, my whole task in life? Came Mamre and said, doesn't matter, go ahead and do it. And Mamre, you know, Mamre was right. Like don't he? be embarrassed. Why? I don't know what to do. He wasn't given the command. But, in fact, someone said a very good shot. You know, there's a famous kasha. Famous Kashas of Avram kept the whole Torah. So why did he do the Brismila? He should have done the Brismila much earlier. Why did he wait till 100 years old to do the Brismila? So there are a number of interesting truths into that. I'll just briefly say it over. One is a Lomdish Terence. Briskarov's Terence. That Sipastish to do a mitzvah until there's a Chaloiz din oral. Until, until there's a mitzvah of Arelis, there's no oral. Oral is a non-existent concept and you can't do a bris unless you're an oral. So you need to be a din oral before you could do a bris milah. So Tul Hashem said that you are an oral. Oral means uncircumcised. So you have to have a din oral. Only then could there be a bris milah. It's a very similar terrorist that he says to why Yaakov married two sisters. He says because there is certain arayas, forbidden relationships that are a natural relationship. In other words, you're related to someone. Your mother, your sister, your daughter, your those were the arayas that Bnei Noach were informed about. But now the issue that Yaakov of marrying two sisters is only if there's a din ishus. There has to be a chalois shame kedushin of kedushin. And only then do you say that if you're married to this, you can't marry the sister. So you need ishus Yisrael to exist before the erva of two sisters could be, could be a problem. So since there was no ishus Yisrael, so there was no erva of two sisters. Even for a Jew, that would be the case. It wasn't a question of why you fulfilled the Torah before. And even you and I, even after Mount the Torah, there wouldn't be issues Israel. You'd be allowed to marry two sisters. So therefore, even if he didn't tire, he could marry two sisters. Same thing over here. There's, unless there's a din chalois shame oral, a din oral, a din oral, you know what a din oral is, you can't do a bris milah. That's the briskarov's approach. But I'll, I'll just tell you two other approaches, though, that are somewhat in keeping with some of the themes that we mentioned this week as well as last week. One is a very simple one. A bris meal is something you can only do once. If we know, as we talked about last week, if you do a mitzvah because of a command, it's much greater than a mitzvah that you do optionally, that you do as a sense of volunteerism. So, because bris meal was a mitzvah that Avram was going to be commanded to do, it's much more precious and much more valuable to do the mitzvah when he is commanded than to do it before you're commanded. 
So therefore, it would have been it's better for Avram to wait to be commanded in this mitzvah, <coughs> and to therefore do the mitzvah on its highest level when you're a mitzvah of than to do it as a voluntary act beforehand and lose that opportunity. I think that's a very good answer to the question. There's another interesting answer, though, and that is that that one of the shevimits of Noach is, of course, murder. As a, if for those of you that remember from the Sech, the Shabbos and these things, the idea of Netilas Neshama, which is one of the Malachas of Shabbos, not a Shecht. We also learn from the Inara Wund. That's, that's a, tol, a Tologa of Netilas Neshama, of Shechting. If you draw blood. In other words, Chavola, wounding or mutilation, is a kind of a Tologa of killing. Therefore, a Ben Noach is now allowed to wound himself. So now, to just merely do an act of a brismila, when before you were commanded, but you are commanded not to wound yourself. So therefore, before he has the midst of a brismila, the brismila is an act of kilkul, it's an act of wounding. So he wouldn't be allowed to even do it himself. That's an interesting answer. So Mamre, who doesn't have the mitzvah, maybe shouldn't do it. Again, this leads to all kinds of different questions, and I don't want to get into it, but it's just a, just food for thought. Food for thought, merely. You can now understand a little bit why the last three of Avram's mitzvahs, of Avram's nisyonos, which as we're saying now, according to the way this particular count is, is Brismila, driving out Yishmoel, and Akedas Yitzhak. Now already you can appreciate there's a common theme to all these three last nisyonos, which is that every one of them goes against the grain of the nature of Avram as well as his mission in, in the world. Two things. Because what what is the mitzvah? The mitzvah is do a bris milah against the nature of Avram and his mission. Drive out your son against the nature of Avram's chesed as well as his mission of kiruv, of influencing others. And certainly Akedah Sitzvah. Kill your very own son. That's it. Here's Avram preaching and preaching and preaching and he kills his son. At age 137, the guy's a madman. Everything that he taught is now down the tubes. So Avram was really being asked to not only sacrifice his son, but to sacrifice his very raison d'etre. Right? Raison d'etre. This is what Avram was all about. So he was sacrificing more than his child. He was sacrificing his very essence, his very being, his very mission in the world. By the way, I should just point out an interesting word from the Ran. The Ran says in his first drosh, Ran has a book of droshes on the Torah. And he talks about the, one of the famous questions is why the Torah doesn't discuss Olam Haba. The future world, I mean, if the future world is so important and significant to, to Judaism, how come the Torah doesn't mention it? We have it in the rabbinic literature so much about it. How come it's not in the Torah? And therefore there are those deniers that attempt to say that now the, 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 the idea of belief in an afterlife and a soul and an eternal world and all that came about in the time of the second temple but in the biblical times they didn't even have these kind of thoughts they didn't even think about the afterlife they didn't even think about the neshama that there was a soul that survives death and that there's another world and that there's they didn't believe in any of this stuff until the second temple period so points out the Ram could you imagine if in if a biblical in biblical times or biblical figures only believe in this world this is it, that's all there is and all reward and punishment is only in this world 
God rewards and punishes you only in this world. Now exactly how could God approach Avram and what could he offer him instead of his son? And why would Avram listen to God? There is no future world. There is nothing beyond the here and now and the present. I mean, what? Is there any greater punishment that Avram could have than killing his own child who he loved dearly? Is there any reward that could possibly make up for his only child? There is no future world. There's only this world. That's it. So there's nothing you can give me instead. Obviously, they also understood the idea that there's a world of souls. There's a world of... There's a future. There's something above and beyond and better than this. And therefore, although Hashem is asking me for the supreme sacrifice, but it is limited. It's only the supreme sacrifice of this world. But there is bigger, better, and greater things. So the Akedah Yitzhak itself cries out for the for the fact that the office themselves recognize that there is more than than there is. Because Avram was being asked to give up his own child, his own future, his own future generations. Whatever eternity that they could have believed in bef- without a recognition of Olam Haba is the eternity of this world. Whether yourself or your children or your grandchildren, people will die for their children. Because they know that there's an eternity that they'll have children, grandchildren, etc. But he already drove out Ishmael. So he already burnt his bridges. It wasn't like, okay, I'll get rid of Yitzchak, but I have other kids. You know, a person has children. I'll die for my children. Or I'll sacrifice one child for the sake of the other one, although it's a cruel choice, but at least there's still some future that's going to come for me. My DNA is being passed on. But in a sense, Hashem set up Akedas Yitzchak as the supreme test of Avram's fidelity by causing him to burn his bridges. He first tells him, get rid of Yishmol. Yishmol is not your son. This is your only son. This is your only son. By, by driving Yishmol out, it narrows the focus of all of Avram's future and eternity to one child. And now Hashem says, I want you with your very own hands to kill him. With your own hands. Kill your entire future. How could Avram even listen to such a thing unless he knew that there's a soul that connects to God? It is only a body, and that with the death of Avram, and with the death of his son Yitzchak, it's the end. It's all over. How, how do you do an act of uh, this kind of a thing? He's already 137. He's not going to have any mission left after this. This is the end of Avram. This is the end of his life. This is the end of his loves. This is the end of everything. All he has is Yitzchak. And he's with his own hands killing Yitzchak. There is no future. There's no future to his people. There's no future to his family. There's no future to himself. And if you don't believe in Olam Haba, there is no future, period. Without a belief in Olam Haba, it's almost incomprehensible for Akedas Yitzchak to even occur. So this just demonstrates, says Duran, how the office also had to have understood the idea of Olam Haba. But part of the, the, the task, the challenge, the trial of Akedas Yitzchak was that the previous trials set everything up for this last supreme one. Hashem takes him out of his home in, in Ur-Kastin, tells him to go to another land where you'll be great, and you'll have children, and you'll have family, and you'll have fame, and you'll have fortune. When he has Yishmoel, he's yearning for a child, he's yearning for a child, Hashem finally gives it to him, and he gets Yishmoel, and Hashem says, no, but this isn't the one, you'll have another one, and that'll be the real one. And he finally has it. He finally has it. And he says, well, at least I have Yishmoel also. Hashem says, no, no. You don't even have Ishmael. Drive him out. And a father 
especially of Avram's caliber, to drive out his son was a supreme test of his willingness to listen to God, to drive out his own son. That's why it's considered the ninth test. Comes the tenth and the final test, where everything else is a prelude to that. It's a prelude to the to the act of of Akedas Yitzchak. So he's sacrificing his very his very being, his very essence. So the eighth, ninth, and tenth tests of Avram went against the grain of the very nature of Avram's being. Therefore, with this we can understand how the test is introduced. If you look on page 34, on the third line, Pasuk Aleph, Vahi Avram ben Tishim b'seisha shonim, Vayero Hashem al-Avram, Hashem appears to Avram, Vayomere love, and he says to him, Ani Kel Shakai, I am God Almighty, his Halech Lefonai Veyesamim. Walk before me and be Tomim and be perfect, be whole, be complete. And then he gives him the command of the Brismila. Why is the command, the midst of Brismila, and the test, if you will, of Brismila introduced in this fashion? It's introduced with the Ani Kel Shakai. And it's introduced by saying, be Tomim. Actually, it's a very appropriate way that of introducing the Bismillah. Yes. Because it requires that kind of simplicity and wholeheartedness to be able to do this. It goes against the very understandings that you've developed throughout your whole life. Now I'm asking you to go in reverse. You're driving down the highway 70 miles an hour, and I want you to put the car, the gears in reverse. Makes no sense whatsoever with everything that you've been told now. Tomin. Tomin tiyem Hashem So the 8th, ninth, and 10th test, and test have to be introduced with the concept of Tomin. A number of different interpretations are given on that as well. So that which we've learned in the laws of Kishuf and magic and soothsaying from the Rambam about the mitzvah of Tom tiyem Hashem is actually what Avram is being commanded over here. That's what Tomim is, is to be like the simple son. Like the simple son. As Rashi says in Parsha Shoftim, on the Posik that we've learned, Don't be an Oiber Chochem and search for the answers about the future. Except from God, that which He gives you in the present. Vine, therefore, now at this point, this juncture in Avram's life, Avram He was right before the eighth challenge, which is the bris mila, according to Pirkei the Rebbe Yezer, and the mitzvah of mila. It was against the very nature of Avram's being and everything that he taught the world his entire life. His whole mission is now being violated by this mitzvah. Because he taught the world. He was teaching everybody, don't mutilate. Which we know was one of the things of Avodazar was that they mutilated themselves. Flagellation and these things. One of what Avodazar did was mutilation, self-mutilation. And Avram was saying, don't mutilate. All of a sudden, here he's going to mutilate himself. Hashem commands him, do it to yourself. 
This is in, in direct opposition to everything that Avram was teaching. The next Nisoyan, the ninth Nisoyan of this week's Parsha, which was Girushe Yishmoel, to drive out Yishmoel, was also against the very nature of Avram as well as his mission. It was against his very essence, his being, his nature, his characteristic, as well as against his mission. Here Avram spent his whole life being being kind even to an Arab guest, praying on behalf of the lives of the wicked of Sodom. This is his whole life. He goes out and he endangers his life by trying to save his nephew, who split from him. His nephew Lot splits from him, goes away, and Avram endangers his life. So he puts his life on the line to save Lot. To save Lot. He puts his life on the line, and he's Makara people. He davens on behalf of Sodom. He, uh, he goes around trying to be Makara people. He does Hachnosis Orchem on a grand scale and now he's being told drive out your own son that's so against the grain of Avram's being where he tries to bring people in under the big tent as they say nowadays right to put them all under the big tent this is what Avram was all about and now he's being commanded from Hashem drive out your son the last sign Akedah's obvious was the greatest contradiction to everything that he was all about against his whole divine service and all of his preachings and all of his teachings and his entire mission was totally compromised and contradicted by Akedah Yitzchak. Not only that, but it contradicts Hashem's very promises to him, where Hashem tells him Yitzchak is your child and Yitzchak is your future and now go slaughter your future. Therefore, before these last three Nisyonis, Davka before these last three Nisyonis, Hashem has to introduce the next set of mitzvahs and Nisyonis, his Halech Lefonai Ve'yei Somim, Tomim. That's the introduction to these last Nisyonis. Only if you achieve this level of Tamimus, and even Tamimus, when you think about it, see, for us it's a little easier to be Tamimus, because we're mindless to begin with. But Avram, who was a philosopher of the first order, and Avram, whose very nature was, as we've spoken about previously, was Avram Ho'ivri. He stood against the rest of the world. That means he was an original person. He was a creative person. He was a philosopher. He achieved everything with his mind, and he was an innovator. And he's being told to be Tamimizdig, to be mindless. It's a little bit different than telling us to be mindless. We don't have too much of a mind to begin with. It's easy for us to be mindless. We're not getting rid of much when, we have, when we're told to get rid of our minds. Avram had a great mind. He's being told to get rid of a lot. For him, it was Tmimus. So therefore, he's being introduced to a new level of Tmimus. Don't ask. And that's why he doesn't ask to God, how come you're contradicting yourself? with the And only with the Midah of Tmimus could Avram withstand the next set of three challenges. Remotion, in the piece right below this, says again, very similar to the lines that he said earlier, Hinei, the Mila itself was also considered a Nisoyan. So asks Rav Moshe, again, we've already answered some of this, but Rav Moshe asks it in a very um, 
simple way. He says, what's the big sign of a Mila when every single Jew does it to every single baby that he has? I mean, and we, we love it. It's one of the greatest mitzvahs that we do. So what's the big sign of the Mila? Okay, obviously there's an obvious difference between giving your son over to somebody else to do it and doing it to yourself, that's true. But then again, maybe Avram could have done it like that also, really. He could have maybe technically given it over to somebody else and anesthetized himself or something. And anesthetized himself. But in any case, a Jew doesn't really consider the Brismila a Nisayan. Every Jew does it, and we do it the Simcha. The nearest, he points this idea out as well. Do Avram Kor B'Shem Hashem L'Chola Olam? Avram was Vayikro B'Shem Hashem. He publicized God's um, kindness to the whole world. The Koycha Yosef Lashpia Kishen Tzarech Liyos Ban Hogu Aches Mishar Kol Adam. Avram certainly could have rationalized that my mission is better performed if I look like everybody, if I dress like everybody, and I don't make these kind of crazy distinctions between myself. In fact, the very nature, the essence of this meal is be different. And the very nature of Avram was to incorporate in the tent. And here Brismil is saying, no, be different, show a division. So you're asking an inclusive person to be divisive. Avram's very nature was inclusiveness. The mitzvah of Brismila's very essence is divisiveness, to divide. So you're asking an inclusive person to become divisive, to be different. And therefore you're going to make your task harder, if not impossible. So therefore when Hashem says to him, Be different, look different than the whole world, and mutilate yourself. And more than that, this is a mitzvah that's going to be you and only your children. Not the rest of the world. The rest of the world is Gentiles. They're uncircumcised. They're Aurelian. You're you're different, and your children are different. So this was against the the very task that Avram took upon himself and his and his whole mission in in life, which Avram till this point was doing, and Hashem agreed with. Now Hashem is saying him, Atau Beischa, it's you, your household, your family, have to do this mitzvah and nobody else. Therefore, this was an assignment to Avram because it now changes the entire focus of what he was all about till this point. Therefore, Hashem tells him, Be Sholem, be Tmimizdig. And Avram fulfilled it. He was Tmimizdig, he didn't question this. Even though Avram at this point thought, that now it's going to make his task more difficult to be mashpi on the world. But Hashem helped him, and Avram was able to accomplish his mission. And, and the truth is that in spite of all of this, Avram is the most publicized and popular of the forefathers. You know, it's, it's interesting that even when you read in the papers about Hebron, they don't even talk about Hebron as being the, the resting place of the forefathers of Yitzhak and Yaakov. It's always Avram. And therefore, the Arabs want it, and that's why the Jews want it. Because they have the common ancestor and of the Jews as well as the Arabs. Avram, Avram is the one that, that the whole world has, has popularized. So the truth is, his task was fulfilled with this Tamimus as well. But this was the very nature of Avram. So therefore, we could now appreciate how the 8th, ninth, and the 10th task of Avram has to be introduced with the concept of Tamimus. Because these three things go against his very nature. 
as well as against his, his mission in life. However, there's another aspect to this as well. And that is that possibly one sees in this a subtle shift in Avram's mission. His mission was till this point to the world. His mission he's now being taught is to create a Jewish people. And to create a Jewish people, you can't always go with the idea of inclusiveness and the idea of always bringing people in and being kind and too much kindness, it's just not going to work. You need to counteract that. You need to counteract that with a certain amount of divisiveness, of cutting off. You need another midah. And the midah that's going to come from Yitzchak represents din and gvura, which is in a sense the opposite of Avram's nature. Avram was chesed in corporation to go out in fact, the word shaka, I don't want to go so much into it now, represents Sha'omar Lomi die. I said to my world to stop, which really represents the idea of the Brismila, because as the Medrash, it's in a few places, the Gemara, where they asked Rabbi Akiva about why we weren't born with the Brismila. And the, the idea of shaka is that Hashem made the world, as it says, Ashabora Elohim Lasos. God created the world, but then He placed limitations, and He said, now it's man's task to complete. Asher borrow you finish it. Therefore, Hashem made the world that it only grows wheat. We have to plant it and cultivate it and process it and refine it and make bread. We do the hamoitzi lechem in the arts. We, we work with God, and we finish it up. Sha'omar lolam die, I said to my world, that's it. This is as far as I go, not beyond and beyond, you got to do. And that's really what Brismila is. I made man the raw material. You got to finish it off physically as well as spiritually. And you do the Brismila. Die. This far. There are limitations. There are boundaries. Yitzchak represented din and gvor judgment. The chesed of Hashem, without the shakai to limit it, allows for constant growth, for for unending growth that constantly expands and expands and includes too much chesed. Olam chesed yibona, the world was built with a foundation of kindness. And kindness itself, without limitations, is also dangerous. Free love, we mentioned last time, free love leads to all of the other things, leads to adultery. The world of the 60s that says make love, not war, because they didn't want war, but the alternative was was immorality and promiscuity. So, yes, unlimited and unfettered love turns into promiscuity, turns into to all of the problems of immorality that there is. On the other hand, the alternative of that is, is warfare, it's harshness, it's judgment. Avram, of course, represented chesed. Yitzhak represents din and gvura. In a, Avram's constant expansion is now being placed with a limitation. With a limitation. And the bris meal, in a sense, represents limit. Bris, die. Shakai, die. And now comes the next set of where you're trying to create the counterbalancing force to the chesed of Avram. You're starting to create a Yitzchak. And Yitzchak has to come from a circumcised Avram. Unlike Ishmael, who also circumcised himself, but he was the product of an uncircumcised Avram, and therefore Yishmael was wild, a para-Adam, a wild man. 
uncontrolled, unfettered, un, uninhibited. That's Ishmael. Yitzchak comes from a more circumscribed as well as circumcised Avram. Avram circumcises himself and therefore there are limitations and he circumscribes himself and he creates and produces a Yitzchak. And therefore the chesed of Avram is being tempered by the din and the gevura of Yitzchak, which ultimately leads to the MS of Yaakov, because even Yitzchak's, even Yitzchak's approach has its own excesses. It produces an Esav, a man of war, a hunter, a killer, a man of bloodshed. Avram's chesed produces a Yishmoel, wild, too much chesed, unfettered, uncontrolled, without limitations, without the brismila, without the die, the shakai, the die, enough, is unfettered, unlimited, it's cancerous, it's wild. Too much Yitzhak's din, judgment, gvura, harshness, leads to the ace of, of warfare and bloodshed, al-char you live by the sword. You know, you do a brismila, self-mutilation, but then you can grow up, and take the sword and start killing people with it. So too much sword leads to bloodshed, warfare, and murder leads to an Esau. Yaakov brings it together. If you remember the word that we said from last week, from Rav Shimon Schwab, where he explains with this, the idea of the Pasuk in Yeshaya, Hashem Yaakov Avram, so says Hashem to the household of Jacob, which redeems Avram, so the the Medrash, the Medrash Rabbah says that Avram was only saved from the fiery furnace in the merit of Jacob, the merit of Yaakov. So he said, what does that mean? Avram wasn't enough of a tzaddik to be saved from the fiery furnace that he throws himself into on behalf of God only with the merit of Yaakov? What does that mean? Only with the merit of Yaakov. So we said from Shem and Shua because Avram represents Chesed. Yitzchak, of course, represents the opposite. It's the Midas or Emes of Yaakov, Kitain Emes Le Yaakov, that combines these two opposites and limits each one to its proper <coughs> parameters, which allows for the Chesed of Avram to have true, true um, fulfillment. Because the Chesed of Avram that constantly expands leads to a wildness and to a promiscuity that knows no boundaries and no bounds and everything is open, everything is free, free love it leads to a complete breakdown of all strictures of morality and society and law and order on the other hand, the alternative too much too much law and order, law and order. is of course, that's really the theme by the way of Victor Hugo's Les Miserables what he's trying to say over there is look at the excesses of law and order but he doesn't tell you the other side of the coin. Again, he was living in the 19th century, and they were trying to promote kindness to a very harsh system of government, of tyranny, of law and order. He was showing the excesses of law and order. Too much law and order lead to the Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. On the other hand, too much excess, too much kindness leads to the promiscuity of the 60s. You need balance. Titan Emes Lyakov. Avram's chesed was saved with the balancing act of Yaakov. That's what the that's what the Pusik is trying to tell us. Only when it's tied together with the Emes of Yaakov. Now you can already understand Avram's new task. 
Avram's new task is now the beginning of the building of a people. It's no longer just the chesed to incorporate the whole world in unfettered kindness. There's a bris milah. You're going to make a division. And you know what? Part of that division is that to create a Yitzhak and to protect the Yitzhak, you may actually have to even drive out a Yishmol. It's against your grain, but it's for the protection of, of Yitzhak. It's not just being done as a chok. Go and do it. Work against yourself. There's a purpose there. Sarah, in her wisdom, understood this. And Avram, by his very nature of chesed, the idea of driving out my own son, or driving out Yishmol, even though God already told him, Kibi Yitzhak Yikori Avram already knew that Yitzhak is the main one. But it's like the principle that has the difficult task. What do you do with this child? It's going to ruin the other children. But if I throw him out, what's going to be with him? And it's a terrible dilemma. When you're faced as a principal or as a teacher with a class, sometimes we have, uh, we recently had such a uh, such an encounter. You have a class of people, and you have one person there that if you don't address their problems, you're going to lose that person. But you know what? If you lose the person, if you try to incorporate the people, it endangers everybody else. There's the rest of the class. What do you do when you have a problem child, when you have a problem student, when you have a problem pupil or a bad influence that affects everybody else? Avram's nature was chesed to include, to incorporate, to make gerim, to bring the gerim under the big tent, to be mekar of Yishmoel. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem for you, it's hard. But how, what can I do? And Sarah says, you gotta let go. You gotta drive him out because you're endangering the rest of your family. You gotta learn when to call it quits. When to say enough is enough. Shakai. Die. Enough already. Time to cut the losses. I mean, there's some very Hoshim families that they were, that they were, um, children, then they'd have a a Down's children, Down's syndrome child, or one of these things. And the question now becomes, where all energy becomes focused on this one child, how it's going to affect the other children, but what's the alternative? The alternative is to give it up to a home, to drive your own child, so to speak, out of your own house. Should you do such a thing? It's a a terrible dilemma. I don't really know if there is any one answer to it. In fact, I'm certain there is no one answer to it. There's no one answer that could go for everybody. Sometimes it's your child. You have to do it. But at other times, you know what? You're going to have to let go of this child. Because otherwise you're going to ruin your whole family. And in a sense, Yishmoel represents this difficult choice. That's the ninth test of Avram. What a challenge. The ninth test of Avram is drive out this child to protect the other one. Take a look on your on your Vayero sheet. Take a look on your Vayero sheet. On uh, page 2. Kol asher toimar eilecho soro shma b'koilo ki b'yitzchok yikor eilecho zora. Avram was told, listen to your wife Sora. Whatever she tells you, she's right. Because Yitzchok will be your seed. V'chiloi roa Avram Avinu. Et asher lefonov. Avram Avinu didn't see what Sarah saw. 
was Yaakov, was Avram unconcerned with the bottom piece on the back page? Was Avram unconcerned with the purity of the chinuch of his child Yitzchak? Was he less concerned than Sarah? Omnam, Avram Avinu, Choshash, Avram was afraid in the Lishloyach as Avram was concerned about Yitzchak's future, but he was also concerned about Yishmol's future. Of course he was concerned about Yitzchak and the bad influence that Yishmol might be on Yitzchak. But he was concerned about Yishmol's well-being and his welfare. Shekain al Yideza olhu li Because as a result, Yishmol could fall down and deteriorate terribly. Therefore, Avram wanted to continue his approach of Kiruv. Kiruv. Kiruv at all costs. Even though, by doing this, it may somehow affect, and it's going to come off of the Cheshman of Yitzchak. But he felt, he felt he could be Mashpia, have influence over Yishmoel. He'll be able to do some Kiruva to him, and things will work out. Sarah held not like that. She held, even if it means to save Ishmael. This was the issue. The issue was, should we attempt to save Ishmael or not? Avram said, yes, Yitzhak might lose. It's a risk I'll have to take because I have to save Ishmael. And sorry, Emenu held, no. It's true that you may lose Ishmael. Even though you want to save, it's Kiruv Ruchaykim, you want to save Ishmael's life. But nevertheless, it's not Kedai. It's not Kedai. If Yitzhak will lose and suffer some loss on this account, he can't do it. He can't water down the yeshiva. You know, one of the issues that yeshivas are faced with now is what do you do with the Russian children that are coming in? What do you do with the Iranians that were coming in? you got to educate them. So yeshivas are being given incentives by certain organizations. Take in some Russians. Take in the Iranians. you got to help them. Yes, it does water down and it, it sort of like diminishes the, the total chinuch of everybody else. But what are you going to do with these children? These children have to be saved. The whole tach issue about having these kinds of classes in yeshivas is ultimately this question. What do you do to save these poor souls? Isn't the yeshiva's responsibility to help everybody? And yes, you have a task of educating your children and you have standards and therefore the standards will suffer but what about these poor children what do you do with Down syndrome children what do you do with children that are just that need extra what we call special education what do you do with children that have emotional problems what do you do with Tatakh children what do you do with the Russians what do you do with the Iranians what do you do with the bad apple what do you do with Balei Tshuva all the same question do you bring them into a, a, into a school and you thereby water down the standards and everybody else suffers a little bit in order to benefit them? What's the question? What do you do? And Avram and Sarah had this dilemma regarding Yishmoel and Yitzchak. This is a tremendous test. A test of your own children. And therefore Sarah held one way and Avram held the other. If the holy, pure chinuch of Yitzchak is being endangered a little bit in order to be mechanech yishmoel, 
Haray sheyesh levat there all Yishmoel. You have to let Yishmoel go under the conditions. Now, I'm not saying that any of the cases that I gave you are analogous in terms of the solution to this because there's a very fundamental difference between Yishmoel and Yitzchak. Of course, from here you can definitely learn that all those schools in Israel that attempt to teach tolerance and to bring up the level of the Arabs by mixing them with Jewish kids in the same school and they think what a wonderful, noble cause. Yes, you definitely could learn from this parsha that that's the wrong way of doing it. That you don't endanger Jewish kids by trying to lift up the standards of the Arabs. It's a great thing to lift up the Arab standards, but you don't do it by endangering Jewish kids. As to whether by Jewish kids, that's a whole different story. Iranians, Russians, the Tach, all of these things, I'm not going to deal with what you should actually do. I'm just dealing with the issue itself. But therefore, you have to let go of Yishmoel, even though in Hakeev, Hakoruch, Bovdano, Shal, Nefesh, with all that soul-searing pain that comes with losing a soul. The fact that you're losing Yishmoel, you know that by driving him out, what's going to be with him? And you know that a person like Avram, that it's against the very nature of his being and of his task and of his mission in life and of his very quality that he has, that he did it for the whole world. And now for his own son, you know how soul-searing it is and how painful it is for Avram. It's the ninth test. It's the ninth test. Avram had ten challenges. This was the ninth. It was a difficult one. To, to have him lose a child and to have him lose a soul. If only he could stay in Avram's tent. In this debate, in, these, in this question, you have two, two different, totally different views of education. And they're both fighting it out. And HaKadosh Baruch who said, Sarah is right. And therefore he tells Avram, let her go, and don't be afraid, don't even feel bad, because I'll take care of it. You know, it's interesting that this passage about listening to Sarah, you see how people are so agenda-oriented and agenda-driven that they can't even learn a parsha for the truth that's there because of their agendas. You, you read over this Pasuk to everybody nowadays in 1998. Read over this Pasuk to everybody in 1998, and you know what they're going to tell you from this? Oh, it teaches us that the woman has blah, 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 and you got to listen to your wife, and everybody turns it into a woman's issue. This Pasuk becomes, a, besides the fact that it's the opposite, but you know what, even though cursively or superficially you could, you could see that in the Pasuk, Listen to Sarah. Oh, you see that Sarah is a bigger novi. I guarantee you, make a survey, go to shul, read over this pasuk, and say, Listen to your wife, Sarah. All that she tells you, listen to her. Ask everybody in shul, what do we see from this pasuk? I guarantee that 90% of the people, if not 100% of the people, are going to tell you, well, that's the issue about, about that Sarah was greater, and the vu, and you got to listen to your wife, and, and, and the whole woman's issues in this pasuk. And they missed the boat. That's not what the Pasuk is teaching us. Yeah, there are lessons in this Pasuk, and maybe some of those relate to this issue as well. Yeah, possibly. But they totally miss the Chinuch question that Sarah and Avram were debating. What to do with Yishmoel if it damages Yitzchak? What do you do? And Hashem says, although it's going to be difficult, you got to get rid of Yishmoel to protect Yitzchak. Hashem says, Sarah is right. 
If you want your name to be on Yitzchak and you want your children to be Kodesh, you have no choice but you got to listen to to Sarah. So what is this Pasuk and the rest of the parish telling you? It's telling you that Avram is now beginning his task as a nation builder. And part of building a nation, part of building the Jewish people, is that the chesed of Avram is not the meter that could work universally. The chesed of Avram, this idea of inclusiveness and kindness and mercy, this quality of mercy, is not one that could be universally applied in all circumstances. You're going to have to temper it with a Yitzchak, with a Yaakov. The chesed of Avram is only saved with the MS of Yaakov. It's the MS of Yaakov that saves the chesed of Avram. And that's what the Pesach says. Koyomar Hashem el Yaakov asher podo es Avram. It's Yaakov that saves Avram from the fiery furnace. That's why there's a future. Because there's a prismila, because there are marks of distinguishing Jews from Goyim, because the education of Jews is done al-Taros HaKadosh in a way where we don't want to bring in things that don't belong in the Chinuch, although our mind is still to try to help, to try to save, to try to incorporate, to try to include, to try to do Kiruv. Kiruv is still a focus, but we have to remember there's a brismila. We have to remember that Chinuch has to be Altaros HaKadosh. And therefore Avram comes to his task of Akedas Yitzchak. With Akedas Yitzchak becomes the guarantee of his eternity. Let's take a look now. Whatever time we have left. Now let's figure out what we'll do here. Oh, you know what? Let's take a look at a beautiful word from Shimon Schwab that dovetails perfectly with this last word. It's a beautiful shot. I, I just had a no seeing it. And it happens to fit into this idea. We find that in the Akedas Yitzchak, Chazal tell us that the Satan pulled out all the stops to try to stop it. To try to stop it. First page. The Satan pulled out all stops to try to stop it. So, um, one of the things that he did was he made himself into like a river. The river that Avram had to ford. Now, the Medrash actually says that it started getting higher and higher. And Avram therefore took Yitzhak and put him on his shoulder to protect him from the waters. And it finally came to the point of where he was ready to almost drown in it. And he said, The water has come to my soul. I'm, I'm drowning. It's up to my nose. The water has reached my nefesh, my, my nose already. Savram so puts Yitzhak on his shoulder and says, What's the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this message that the, that the Sultan turned himself into a river and this became something which Avram had to ford before he could do Akedas Yitzhak? And from this comes a very interesting tradition. The tradition that we have to go to a river to do Tashlach. This is one of the reasons brought down for the Minig, the custom of Tashlach. This is the first time I saw such a beautiful shot in the custom of Tashlach. We'll see in a second. And it ties with whatever we said, so I'll just conclude with this last part. Let's take a look at this. It's a beautiful shot. Kosovo Ramah. The Ramah brings down in Orachim Tov Kuf Pegimel. Shenoag Ulo Leches El Hanor B'Rosh Hashona. V'loy Marseidur Tashlach. Yidu Tashlach. One of the reasons brought down 
the dark emotion, the name of the Maril brings it down, is to remind ourselves of the of the schus of the Akedah. Because in Rosh Hashanah we try to recall and remind ourselves of the schus of Akedah's Yitzchak. So we want to recall the the schus of Akedah's Yitzchak. The Isa B'medush Kishaholach Avram Avinu Im Yitzchak B'noi Lakdos HaSotan Nar Godel V'Sotan made this huge river L'Fneim L'Akbam to stop it. The Nichnesu HaTzavorm B'mayim they went till their neck in water, the Omru, and they said, Save us, O Lord, because the water has reached our soul. Medish Tanchuma, Vayera. The way I remember the Medish, Yitzhak was placed on Avram's shoulder. What is the connection, he says, between this Medish and the custom of Tashna? That we throw our rivers into the sea. What does this represent? So he says a beautiful pshat. Venera, she says like this in the next paragraph. We know that Chazal understand that water represents Chesed. Eish <coughs> represents Din. Eventually, when we learn Arvei Psachim, last paragraph in Psachim, we'll come across this idea. Gavriel is the angel that's in charge of fire. Michoel is the angel in charge of water. Gavriel is the fiery angel. Michoel is water. Gavriel is Gavura, Din. We always find Gavriel with Din. And we find Michoel represents the kindness and the mercy, the chesed. Minini Michoel, Mismoyli Gavriel, because the Yemin is kindness, is chesed. The smile is Din, Gavura, judgment, Einish. So Maim represents mercy. Eish represents judgment, Gavura. Imkain. So now we can understand this. The final block and obstacle that the Sultan wanted to place in front of Avram was his very nature. Was kindness. Was mercy. There's another Medrash, and maybe the two Medrashim therefore tie together. Where the Sultan came to Avram on his way to do the Akedah. And he said, old man, you foolish old man. And he tried using a little bit some of Harry's arguments over here. You got your receiver mixed up. You didn't hear it right. Are you crazy? God tells you to, uh, you have a child and you're going to kill your child. What are you nuts and you're going to kill your only child? And he tried playing on his mercy and his feelings of, of a father for his own child. And he tried playing up on those emotions and those arguments that how can you do such a thing? Maybe that medrash and this medrash are really one and the same. The Medrash is saying the final challenge of Avram was Mayim, was this river. His own very being and his own very nature and his own very essence and his own very mission in life, the nature of Avram, kinds, how can you kill your son? Mayim. Therefore he makes the Nahar, that the Satan himself clothes himself in the garb of a kindness, of a kind person, to argue with him, how can you do this to your child? And he brings out from Avram his feelings of kindness to his own child. And therefore Avram grew for his own son a shefa, shall have a believable of unbounded love for his son and kindness. And when he was saying to Hashem, please, O oh Lord, save me. What was he saying? He's saying, Hashem, I, I, I just can't. I need your help. I need more of that tmimus to be able to go on with this task. 
if Hashem doesn't help me, I won't be able to withstand the Yetzirah. It says that the Yetzirah of a person constantly becomes more and more powerful, and if Hashem doesn't help him overcome the Yetzirah, he can't do it. He can't withstand the blandishments and the temptations of the Yetzirah. It's so powerful without God's help. And it also says, the greater the person, the greater is Yetzirah. So Avram Avinu was so great, obviously had a great Yetzirah. What was his Yetzirah in this case? Unbounded love and chesed for a son. Unbounded love for a son and his quality of chesed and mercy. That was his Yetzirah. That was his satan. His satan was a satan of water, of mind. His satan was a satan of mind. And therefore, the satan comes to him in the guise of chesed and mind, his very nature. And he says, Avram, how can you do it? And, Ash- and Avram cries out to Hashem, Hoshieni Hashem, Kibo Mayim Ad Nofesh. The water, this has so overwhelmed me, I can't do it, I need your help. Il Molak of who if you don't save me from my own Yetzirah, from my own Satan, I can't do it. Kibo Mayim Ad Nofesh. This was, the, was, was what Akedesis was about. Now we want to recall that Midah, but we want to recall the Midah in reverse. We want to say to Hashem, in the merit of Avram, who did us, who did this great task of Akedas Yitzchak, forgive us this day and cast our sins, rather than punishing us, cast it into the waters of kindness and mercy and forgive us. Therefore, we dive into Hashem by Tashlich, that our Avera should be thrown, El Toich Hamayim, into the waters. What are the waters? Kaloimar. They should be swallowed up let your kindness the overwhelm and drown the sins so therefore the meaning of Tashnach is the appropriate one it recalls the Akedah it recalls this need of Avram and we're symbolically casting our sins into the rivers of the kindness of Hashem to sweep it away Michoel who represents kindness take away the sins Hashem forgive us of our sins and don't deal with us with the harshness of strict justice but the kindness of Avram that he was able to overcome you should also overcome your anger with us it's a beautiful explanation of the Mida of, of, of what the meaning of Tashlech is but it also now fits into what we were saying earlier Avram's test was to go against his nature Avram's nature was water all encompassing totally flowing including everything and he had to go into a fiery furnace. And the unbounded kindness of Avram was so great that if not for the meat of Yaakov that counterbalances that through Yitzchak, he wouldn't be able to survive. So Avram was saved from the fiery furnace. He had to go into the fiery furnace to become purified and to be refined and thereby come out with the Midas Ho'emes of Yaakov, which is able to assimilate and integrate these two opposite ideas and create emes out of that. And if not for that, there would be no Avram, there would be no Yitzhak, there would be no Yaakov, there would be no Kalim Shor, unless you temper mercy and kindness with, with, this, with, with the emes of Yaakov. I think this also explains another part of the Medrash, the part of the Medrash that I recall. He put Yitzhak on his shoulders to make him a little bit higher. The chesed of Avram would have drowned, but it's the quality of Yitzhak standing on the shoulders of Avram that builds on the chesed and it has to be on the shoulders of Avram we end off Mogain Avram he's the foundation you can't have justice alone because you become an Esau it's like the it's like Les Miserables Victor Hugo's book you can't just have that it doesn't work 
You need kindness. You need Avram. You need that as a foundation. And you grow on that and you put a Yitzchok on top of that. Yitzchok on the shoulders of Avram is able to become taller than the waters that would drown. Too much kindness is no good. You need the Gvur of Yitzchok standing on the shoulders of the kindness of Avram so that the wild waters, the wild flowing waters of Para Adam don't swamp and wash away everything. It's only the combination. It's only Yitzchak that's able to stand tall, higher than these waters because there's an element of glory there. That explains some of some of this. What we didn't have a chance to go into is something which we once spoke about before, which ties in over here. The idea that true Timimus and true Shlemus, that would be like a third theme. Maybe we should do it another time if we have an opportunity. A third theme, that true Shlemus comes from the balance of being able to do two opposite things like Avram did by Akedas Yitzchak Vilnagoyim describes this idea he describes it by the Brismila because that's what the Brismila is Brismila is a little bit like Akedas Yitzchak that act of mutilation that act of Brismila is a little bit of Akedah the truth is every time you do a Brismila on your child every father who brings his child to a Bris is doing a little bit of an Akedah there are many Midrashim which we can't go into now many Midrashim that discuss this theme of how of how a bris milah is a little bit of nakeda that every bris milah that a father offers up his child is doing a little bit of a korban it's a korban and you're offering your child as a korban so that every bris is a, is a miniature akeda and therefore every father has to do this double thing of kindness and mercy and love and at the same token an act of cruelty only then do you achieve utter pure shlemus. The Vilna Gain by Brismila as well as the Vilna Gain by Akeda ties together this idea which we don't have a chance to go into right now. True shlemus is a balance.